we're excited to be here. We're excited to see what God is, uh, to share what God has been doing in our lives. And we're also excited to be with you. Um, my kids have often shared, uh, as we, where they were all growing up, they love, they loved, they grew up loving church uh, and uh, being in different churches. That's the blessing that we have of being here in, um, here in the USA, and they've always enjoyed this church. So they've enjoyed, because they are church planting children, they go, this feels like a church plant. And they like the excitement rather than when they go to the, this is what they've told me, okay. Um, going to an established church or the building, they just feel, where everyone feels comfortable and they're just moving along. They just feel there's just an, a different energy at, uh, at churches like this. So, so yeah, I wish, I wish they could join us today, but they're not here. But at the same time, we're here and we're going to share from God's word just one verse but will be other verses to back it up in, in, in the context of a, a chapter and in the context of a book, the book of Matthew. But what we're going to share on this morning is about the kingdom of God. Okay. And um, some of the descriptions of what that kingdom of God looks like. Let me make sure I have the right one here. Yeah. So, again, as we've shared, Earlier, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is our strategy to multiple, to glorify God by multiplying transformational disciples in churches through authentically and vulnerably sharing the gospel of God's grace to the bruised and broken of Madrid and beyond. And a lot of that is ushering the kingdom of God. And to get the kingdom of God, the big ticket is the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. So, uh, yeah, it is good to be in the USA. Something that I'm excited about, and I was very nostalgic when we arrived, was, um, I don't know if this might be a good question, but I enjoy movies. I'll tell you what, I'm discerning, though. You have to be, have discretion of what you watch, so there's very limited amount of movies that I do watch. But how many of you here like movies? Good. That's something we've done in our church, especially with young adults, is we'll have a movie and then we'll discuss it. So we have seen, we've done that with uh, numerous movies with the young adults who enjoy movies. And then we'll have a discussion time, uh, often as a launching pad to spiritual things. So um, again, that, that's kind of what, who we are and what we do. But uh, the movie we saw was brought a lot of nostalgia to me because it is the fifth in a series of movies. It came out in, I think, the very beginning of July. But um, the first time I saw this movie, it was, uh, I saw it back when I was a student at UCLA in the 80s. So it's a long time ago. Um, and I loved it so much. And I have a dear dad who passed away May last year. And I said, my dad would love to see this. So I took, went to see, from LA, went to San Diego and visited them. And I said, I gotta take you to this movie. And uh, this movie's called, uh, what was it? that movie at that time was called Indiana Jones in the, what was that? Uh, in the last, not, not Last Crusade, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's it. And so it was a movie kind of with the theme of finding the lost Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament times. 
And um, it's a movie about finding, it's really like all these movies that you see up here, it's about finding treasure. And there's something that, uh, I don't know about you, that brings excitement where we're here, people seeking treasure. But when I saw this movie and he took it, there's my dad, my family's there, my parents, and my dad is, at that time, was about 60, about my age, and um, he loves adventure movies, so way back, Robin Hood was his favorites, and, and some of the old westerns, but I said, I think you'll like this. You know, it's adventure, Tarzan, he liked those movies. And just in the opening scene, I don't want to do, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a spoiler alert, where all of a sudden, after just, um, obstacle after obstacle, fleeing and trying to do what he did with this, this, this very special relic, which he probably stole. But anyway, what he did, and he's being chased down, and then he does this Tarzan swing to escape the, the enemies, the people that are uh, the, in, the, Native American, the Native Indians that were chasing after him. He does the swing across uh, like a Tarzan, and what happens? My dad was loving this, going, this is so good. He stood up in the audience just going, whoa, whoa, we were all embarrassed. Everyone else was like, whoa, but I, I was, my dad had never done it. He was, he's, he's pretty even keel, but he just said, he just like, this is the best movie. And then all of a sudden the credits go up. He goes, what, it's just starting? You know, he just thought, what's this gonna be? But this whole treasure movie, it just brought, brings back the whole adventure. In this kingdom life that we are living is an adventure. And it is like finding treasure. But we're going to talk about a treasure that we find in Scripture. So this is going to be a one-verse, basically a one-verse passage that we're going to look at. But it's going to take some time to, to explain it. Because something that has really hit me these past I've known this, but for five years, is how many of us really live as kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God people. You know, that's one of the challenges I've seen in the church, is we are living, we believe in the kingdom of God, but some of the struggles that I even see in our churches are because we are often applying kingdom of man values versus the kingdom of God values. And so we've spent a couple of years with our home church discussing what the kingdom of God looks like. In Matthew's five discourses talks about that. Jesus talks about disciple making and kingdom in these five. I'll explain that a little bit more. But uh, what we're going to look at this morning is, I think I'm pressing the wrong one, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44. So it's just one verse, and it's about this treasure the treasure in finding this treasure. But I will also give you a warning that what I'm going to present to you is something that I maybe picked up about four years ago, and it's different from what, how most of us uh, have interpreted or how I've seen the interpretations, an interpretation that never sat well with me. It just didn't seem right. but. Uh, Fortunately, by God's grace, hopefully I'll present that to you, and we'll see. You're welcome to disagree, and if you even take the original interpretation, which I will present as well, you can, I, I can live with that as well, all right? Um, but this is God's word, so let's see what it says here. It basically says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, one verse, 
Jesus Christ is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is the word of God. Now, it's just one verse, but I'm going to give a little bit more context. But understand that, first of all, this is a parable that we see here. And so what is a parable? A parable is basically a simple earthly message with a deeper spiritual meaning. And we will see why Jesus spoke in parables uh, in the context a little earlier when he says there in Matthew 13, prior to, to this, why? The motivation behind preaching and par speaking in parables. Understand that now at this season, Matthew 13, uh, he's already delivered two discourses, longer discourses about the kingdom of heaven. And he has already been preaching about the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. But now he is going to start, and in chapter 13, he gives eight little illustrations or parables of what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, if you read Mark and uh, Luke's um, uh, take on the, the kingdom of, of heaven or kingdom of God. Um, what we see here is his description for the first time of what this new kingdom looks like, that he's warning and encouraging these people to be prepared for. So um, we have to understand what a, that, that he started to speak in parables, and the reason why is because of this, what he's, he's also quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, okay? So 700 years before, Isaiah prophesied that, uh, pro that these, the way God is speaking to the people is because of this reason. And he says there in Ma Matthew 13, verse 13 to 16, or 15, this is why I, Jesus, spoke to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. So prior to that, Jesus, the, the apostles at this point are asking, why are, you, why are you preaching in parables now? I mean, you're, you're, you're teaching, everyone's coming to hear you already, now you're teaching in parables. This is the reason why. In the very first parable he taught, in Matthew 13 was the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower and the soils, sowing the word of God that he says into the hearts of the people. And there's different types of hearts that are receiving it. It's so the reason why is because the hearts are dull, the hearts have been hardened. And so this is why Jesus is giving a subtle way of being able to share with the kingdom of God uh, is because, because the people really couldn't even handle it, okay? So as he's talking about this description of the kingdom of heaven, uh, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, or, or, or just in, in a, a brief, uh, I don't want to say definition, a short mini definition of what this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven looks like. It is the sphere or realm where God reigns and rules. And that can be very broad. 
that can be very, very, very small to the point that where he reigns and rules can be the hearts or the, of individuals. Every individual is also under that kingdom. But the question is, are they citizens of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of earth? And so we can be both, but at the same time, what he really wants is kingdom of heaven people, where God reigns and rules. And so if you are a believer, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, he reigns and rules in you. You are a member of this kingdom. Hallelujah. So what does that look like? More of the kingdom of God's rule. As we know, God is, and this is supposed to be an, an umbrella, which, how his realms work. The bigger, broad base is the heavens. The heavens. And that is all creation. That is the solar system, the, the galaxies, and the galaxies and galaxies which make. He is the king, Lord of all creation. He has always been that, but at the same time, as a king... You can have a great big piece of property. This property I've just mentioned is huge. At the same time, if you don't have subjects, and the subjects before human beings were, he created man and woman in the sixth or sixth day. Before that, you're just king over inanimate objects. This is what he's always wanted, relationship, subjects. Not because he's a mean God or he wants to be top dog, he is top dog, but he wants a personal, live, vibrant, loving relationship because he is a loving God. So he's king over the heavens. As we narrow it down, he's king over the earth, the entire world, to narrow it down a little bit more, not just the continents, but also the nations. So the nation of the United States of America, the nation of Spain, where we, we are living in you know, much of our lives recent years. It's also the, the kingdom of all the nations, so Canada, Mexico. Uh, within that, there's also states, which are mini kingdoms, right? So Ohio is a, is a kingdom under the rule of the United States. But yet, at the same time, all of them are under, ultimately, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, are all of them following them? No. Okay. This is where God is going in to usher in his kingdom because most kingdoms are not following him. Even in our country right now, the USA, there's a battle for who's going to be powerful, who's going to reign in our kingdom. Pretty much between what we'd say the left and the right. There's two kingdoms that are battling for power and control. The challenge is, are they following the kingdom of God rules not so much. In fact, far from it. And so not only there's the nations, but there's also the church. The church is a kingdom, and the, I would like to say they're kingdom colonies on earth. There's the broad church for all those that are citizens that have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior uh, in his work on the cross, in his resurrection, that he is the third person of the, of the Trinity. Uh, there's the big church, a big C, the universal church, of all believers, yet there is also what we would call like icon church, a kingdom community, a colony of people. 
And so it's not the necessarily the terrain, it's not necessarily a building, it's more the community of people that are citizens in communion, walking with Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, living for Jesus. And then with that, in that kingdom, within that kingdom, there's also the individual. So this is what we're talking about uh, as, in, as individuals. Um, Jesus, who's reigning in our hearts? That is maybe the big battle that's going on even within our own lives, is who's king? Is the king Seth or is the king Jesus at that moment? Or Janine or Jesus? Okay, who's on the throne? Now we all say Jesus is on the throne. There are times that we crawl up on that throne. In fact, for me, there's lots of times where I'm trying to take lordship and things don't go as well. And things don't always seem to go well when he's on the throne for me as well, but I can trust him because he knows better. So as we go through Matthew 13, um, uh, to, to go further, to give a little context, something that has really hit Jill and I, or especially me these past five, six years, and it's something I learned in seminary about the kingdom of God, that we have seen that theme running from Genesis all the way to Revelation when it's culminated to, to complete fruition at the very end of Revelation. But at the same time, the kingdom of God is already here in a very clandestine, subtle, spiritual way, more than any, anything else. But as, as we've seen, we've, these are all kingdom passage, uh, passages. The discourses, the five discourses in Matthew all deal with kingdom and disciples. So the first one is the Sermon on the Mount, you see, the heart of a kingdom disciple, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The kingdom mission of disciples, that's Matthew chapter 10, sending them on a mission, which is really a step of faith, if you really look what it looks like. Then we go to the center, and it's very interesting. Matthew, being Jewish, typically writes in a chiastic form, not only in uh, the book of Matthew, but also within even Jesus' discourses. There are scholars, and I'm not one of them, but there are scholars that have broken it down into very chiastic structure. So as we go from kingdom, the heart of a kingdom, the entry, we also see the very last one, which is the Sermon on the Olivet Discourse. The sermon just before Jesus is ready to go to the cross, he's giving them final instruction that it's gonna get hard, there's gonna be suffering. But he's giving them, this is how you live when I'm gone. And it's going to be tough, but, I'm, but living like this will give you hope. And hope that eventually your part of your job is to bring the kingdom of heaven into fulfillment. Even as it's being, uh, being shared. And then that, eight, that fourth one is Matthew 18, the passage of how kingdom people live in community. It's not just a discipline passage. Okay, that's where we, that's the end of it. But that fir whole first half gives a context of how we deal with it in our attitudes of that. But in the very center of that, Jesus, with all at the peak of his popularity already, he has demonstrated so much what this kingdom of heaven looks like. So people are flocking because they think this might be that king that has been foretold and prophesied in the Old Testament the Messiah. He's already showed himself able to still the storm over nature. He's powerful over supernatural. They've seen him exorcise demons. 
They've seen his power over sickness, over health. And then he even was able to raise, he, a couple of times he's raised people from the dead already. So he has power over death. And they're thinking, and this guy preaches, and when he speaks, power and authority, like they've never seen, even amongst the most religious leaders who have all the Old Testament memorized. This is the Messiah. And not only that, he's fed people, 5,000 people one time, men, it says. Was that more? Probably. And at 4,000 another time. So he's fed. This guy has got it all. He can provide. There's health, wealth, prosperity. Yeah, we want that. So they're often coming to him. They're flocking to hear him, sometimes for the wrong reasons. But they're waiting. They're waiting for this Messiah to hopefully relieve them and bring them liberty and freedom from the oppressive kingdom of man group called the Roman Empire. So this is what Jesus is about. And so he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And as he does, just, just very quickly, we can just, I won't go through them all. We only have time for the one verse. But uh, he gives eight, eight kingdom uh, parables describing the king the kingdom of god okay and those go if you've seen the sower and the seed and again there's that chiastic structure where it goes from the sower of the seed which is the word of god and the one be on the very the eighth one is almost a parallel in the sense or it's related to that first one because it talks about if he, he asked the apostles if they've understood the first seven they go yeah yeah okay then you are like a housemaster. You are now like a, a, a scribe who's been trained about the kingdom of heaven to be able to bring and share treasures, old and new, to share the word. And so the first and the last talk about the word of God, the state of the heart to receive the word so that you can understand it and be able to explain it. And that word is going to be centered on the kingdom of God. And so the second and the seventh one are parallels, talking about so are the wheat, kingdom of God citizens, and tares. It talks about the net, the kingdom of God is like a net gathering uh, good fish, kingdom of God people, and bad fish. And it's talking about what he's, the, what's going to happen to the people that are not of the kingdom of heaven. And so with that, again, it starts narrowing down. As he's able to present that, he goes to the next one. This is the kingdom of God, like the sower, who puts this uh, mustard seed into the ground, and it just starts expanding. He's how the, the kingdom of heaven, once it starts, it happens, it's going to explode. Slowly, but something real small is going to be something huge. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing that. The, the, the next one is the same thing, but a woman um, putting yeast, you know, it's like a woman putting yeast in bread, and it explodes. It just grows. But the one we're going to look at is 4A up here, which is very similar to 4B. They're both parallel passages, but we're just going to focus on 4A, which is talking about a man, a field, and treasure. So we're going to look at 
typically what the t uh, typical interpretation is, just to do it briefly, is that, um, again, you've ta we've talked about what a parable is, but he says the, the, he says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And so the typical interpretation is the kingdom of heaven is gained by us selling everything we have to gain it. It is a desire that we should have. And is it worth it? Yes, it is. But my challenge when Jesus already starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, this is what it looks like, it does not seem to be a description which fits my understanding of the gospel in my understanding of Christianity. How many of here have sold everything and joyfully done so to gain the kingdom of heaven? I feel I'd like to do that. And if I have been sold out, okay, let's, let's massage this. I've been sold out for Jesus. Am I joyful about it? Not always. Um, the desire is good. But me, personally, working or attaining God's kingdom just doesn't sit well with me. It never has. So looking at this passage, the kingdom of heaven, I would also, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's where God reigns. But as Jesus is already for the first time describing what this kingdom looks like, he's already given four, illustra um, one, two, three, four illustrations before of what it looks like. Now this fifth one is another uh, angle of what this kingdom of heaven is like. And it's like this man. So who is this? The, the question is, in a parable, who do they represent? We have to be careful not to read, over, to read into it too much, but at the same time, not simplify it too much. But I would say the big pieces are, what is the treasure? What is the man? And uh, yeah, what is the field? Okay. And so typically, uh, what, I would, what I'm presenting to you is a different take because I do believe that as we talk about the kingdom of heaven for Jesus to put the seed of the mustard seed for Jesus to put yeast into our world how does he do that I personally believe that he's doing I used to think the the the, the kingdom is that seed or the yeast I have a feeling it is the gospel the word of God. So what is the gospel? He's telling him to repent and believe and turn to Jesus. That's what the message he's had before. He has yet to even reveal that he is the Messiah. That happens three chapters later. And it's only amongst the apostles. And at that moment, then he says, okay, you got it right. But I'm going to die. That's how it's going to happen. No one was ready for that. They're ready for the, this, this, let's get rid of the Romans and let's establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Israel now. That's what God promised. They didn't get it. So this is what I'm proposing. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, is like a treasure in field, which a man found. I'm proposing this, that the man is the Lord Jesus Christ. In the field are is the world. So just, um, it would look like this. 
The field is the earth. The man is the son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came to the earth. But the big question is, what is the treasure? What is the treasure that Jesus came to the earth? In this passage, it says here, he came, the way I look at it, he came to the earth and he finds a treasure. Then Jesus joyfully goes and sells all that he has to buy the earth. Hence, he's owning his treasure. That treasure was buried. That, pressure, uh, that tre treasure was in dirt. And it was dark. This is my proposition of what the treasure is. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And that treasure is you and me. Us. Buried. In darkness. Dirty. In the cold, dank earth. Lost. The Son of Man came to earth seeking this treasure. Us. Then Jesus joyfully goes and sells all that Jesus has to buy the earth, hence owning and saving his treasure. That is you and me. Jesus is the one that came for this treasure. That's how he views us. He treasures us. And he found us and says, this is worth it. I'm going to sell everything for you. That, for me, sounds like the gospel. What we have here is the... Um, something that's starting to, 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 to catch ground again is what we call the Christus, Christus Victor view of salvation. And it goes like this. The prince of the world, I have it up there. The prince of the world, Satan possessed this world. The son of God came to earth and defeated him on the cross, then established and commissioned the church to enforce his kingdom's rule on earth and reclaim lost people for his or to his possession. Now, that's not typically how we see salvation. That is a viewpoint. That is a model but, but what is taking more precedence now is what Anselmo did in the 11th century, saying that the atonement theory we see up there, where he developed the penal substitution view, which is prevalent today, which basically Calvin and the Reformation have embraced more of that, where there is a substitutionary atonement for the penalty of sin. And yes, I agree with that. I agree with that very much so, but we're giving a different angle where Christ's victory is more the focus. The victory over the enemy and the victory through the cross. Okay. So this is typically the view that, um, that I'm, I'm presenting to you. That amongst the, the, the gospel, uh, amongst the kingdom of heaven, central to that is the, is the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. And this is the first time, if this is true, 
This is the first time we kind of hear a very symbolic, metaphorical way to explain the gospel. In the sense that Jesus, he doesn't share yet that he's going to die because they can't handle it. It's going to happen the way it's going to be the cross and the resurrection. No one could have handled it then. Three chapters later, after guys are following and seeing all the miracles, when they hear him say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter. So this is the reason why. Um, let, me, let me back this up a little bit. Again, just with, with this whole, whole um, passage, again, as we look at the, the parable, it's not just the gospel is that the, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure, but it is a description. And he gives eight different descriptions of what it looks like. So I don't believe the kingdom of heaven is yeast. I don't believe it's, it's the, um, I don't believe it's a mustard seed. He's giving descriptions of what it's like. So it is the treasure which a man finds and what that looks, that's what the parable is about. So we don't just say it is a treasure. It isn't a net that, that you catch fish in. So to explain that more, let's look at what other scripture says about this. Okay, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So we see the son of man out there on a search and rescue to find what's lost. What's lost? I'd like to say it was a, it's a treasure. And you know what that lost is. He's talking about the sheep in, this, in that context, all right? It also says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. It also says there in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, second half of 19 and 20, it says this, You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We were purchased. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says this For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we too might become rich. Now, trying to find treasured possession passages, I found a number of them, but they're all in the Old Testament. It says there in Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 9, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, talking about Israel, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, that's just one. And then we'll go to the very last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, it says this. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son. If those verses out down there below talk about Israel, the kingdom of Israel, being God's treasured possession. Even though it doesn't say that directly, do you think that applies to us today? 
if he's talking about the kingdom of his, now he's got the kingdom of God with his church. Are we treasure? I'd like to think so. If there's any truth to understand how much God values you, that he gave his life, he gave up everything for us. That's our gospel. Because we are a treasure to him. Can you just take about 20, 30 seconds just to sit on that? If this is true, I'm not sure if you're sold on it, but if this is true, just try to imagine, okay, if I am God's treasured possession, meditate and savor that if you can. How does it make you feel? This is a lot of what we've been teaching a lot in the past few years as we're really trying to see a movement of God happen and getting people to think as kingdom people what it's like to share the gospel of God's grace. You've seen us talk about earlier about how we do this in disciple making. You've seen us um, do this, share this previously on how we're, God has graced us with the blessing to work with young adults are seeking Jesus and we just seem to be gravitating to, to seeing young adults coming to know Jesus and growing in understanding who he is working with young men uh, leaders young potential leaders who are affecting the kingdom of God um, I shared and uh, thanks for Jason for asking we do have we have been working with an incredible kingdom movement. We have, the, the, we have a DVD which we have made, the Free Church, the Reach Global. Um, and it's basically to help the, the greatest evangelical or church planning movement in Europe in the last hundred years or plus years since the Welsh Revival. And that's the It is an amazing movement of God. It is, seriously, their stories are like the Book of Acts. And the sad thing for me is we do not know how many. You, they, they, you can't encapsulate all the stories that I've heard of how God has worked amongst these people. And so um, our hope is to use this to share not only um, how they have reached all the gypsies in Spain. So to this Sunday morning or this Sunday, uh, there are 1.2 million um, gypsies in Spain. Half of them are in church service today. Half of them. That's how God is working amongst these people. And now they want to go beyond, and the Lord has opened doors. So how is God working? They said, well, we want to do the Great Commission. That's what we have now. And even though there are people that aren't, uh, the, the people look down on them, there are gypsies all over the world. And so I have a, uh, one of the leaders has just been in Argentina sharing amongst the gypsies there the other there's um yeah uh, two of these guys are basically the key responsible uh leaders to take them to uh, extend the work beyond beyond spain into europe and so now they are doing some they're doing training the church the gypsy church in romania 
in Bulgaria and soon to be in, in Germany and a few other countries. So these guys are already, again, expanding the kingdom. And there is a movement of God amongst the gypsy people in, in Europe, especially Eastern Europe. But even in England, even in France, gypsies are coming to know Jesus. So this is what God is doing in, in our world. And it's, it, it's exciting to be a part of the expanding kingdom of God there. We've talked very briefly about how we're doing that in amongst Spain, the Spanish leaders, and now they're starting to see at least one church started weekly and uh, to reach all of, uh, all of Spain. Our goal, our desire is with this, um, this cohort, this platform of uh, national church planning leaders is to reach all of Spain, have a church, everyone have access to a church by 2030. Will we do it? That's ambitious. God can do it. Okay. But as we shared, we also want to share God's work amongst all people. Not just in Madrid, not just Spain, but beyond. And about two, about four years ago, the head of the Reach Global Church Planning, uh, the church planning director for our mission, uh, basically kept saying, Sam, with what you're doing, being more a mobilizer, catalyst, to train up leaders to be able to start more churches. Can you help some pretty good church planters in Nepal? And for years, my focus has been, Spain needs so much more help. But as he kept sharing the need, um, he convinced me in about January of 2020 to do so. I, he told me it'll be just online. This is what we're requiring of you, about three hours to five hours a week. Online with these brothers, three of them are some of the most impactful church planting planters in, in Nepal. But what he says, Sam, they're excellent at church planting. But my hope is that they would train up church planters that they would be mobilizers, which is kind of what you're doing. So, yeah, and I told them I don't have much experience at being a catalyst to mobilize that, but they did. But uh, he said, go for it. I says, I'm, I'm gonna be learning. I'll be, I've told these guys, I'm like a step or two ahead of you. And uh, these guys, after, from starting in March of 2020 until uh, October last year, or 2021 to October last year. Well, it's been a year and a half, however the numbers uh, come out. Uh, working with them online monthly to help them to do what they're doing. And uh, these guys have taken off. So at the end, of, I finally visited them in October last year. And I said, guys, you know what the, the, the goal is for you guys to be the catalyst to see a church planning movement go. And they said, Sam, can you help us? I said, I'll come visit you because I want to meet you. And then can you offer just a short seminar to uh, some of the other leaders? So they got gathered 14 leaders in October last year, four of the top other leaders in Spain, I mean in Nepal, and they basically said yes. After one, two days, those guys says, we want to get training too. And I said, these guys are supposed to train you. And they guys, we're, we're busy trying to apply this stuff. So I said, we'll help you. We'll, we'll work together at doing that. We did a, um, a church planting, what is that? Uh, we did a church plant uh, conference uh, 
three days after that, where 50 people showed up in Kathmandu, Nepal, and 30 of them was their first time getting church planting experience. Some of them had been, about three or four of them had been believers for less than three years. One had, was a, had been a believer for about a year. They want, to, they want to reach their people. They want to reach the people there in, in their country. So, so again, we were, we're doing some training on that. Um, but uh, since then, this is what has happened. This is a picture in June, just the last year. Um, one of those, those brothers, um, Rajendra, is now the church planting network leader for Nepal. And he has just graduated about, uh, was that 11 people there for church planting? Most of, almost every single one of them is going to the outskirts. They're not just going to hit the big city. So um, again, that's what he's doing, but he's also coordinating with all the other leaders there. How can they collaborate to plant churches together? The other one is um, there in the maroon sweatshirt is Krishna. Krishna, <laughs> when I was visiting there for their second training of the second group of, of church planting leaders, everyone was saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. They, and they go for working with, and, and, and Krishna, they, they say, he's the Apostle Paul of Nepal. And so they're like thinking, oh, who, you know, to, to me. And Krishna is about 10 times better at church planning than I am, seriously. So, but the thing is to help him multiply himself. And uh, so since we started in 2021, he has started 22 churches. No, he won't say he started. He said God has used him to start 22 churches in 21. And yet it's not just him because he can't start 20, 21 churches simultaneously. He, but he could, he's training up people. So now he's got four or five generations of churches which have started churches, which have started churches, which have started churches in that much time. In 22, he started 23, including two prison churches churches that are now meeting in prisons. So far this year, as of June, he is at 16. So again, we're seeing movement. This is just one of the church planters, probably the most effective one. And so that's some of the stuff we see. This is him, and, and he wants to go to the villages. The challenge is that these villages, most of the people are illiterate. Most of those people are illiterate. So because they're illiterate, he's... Uh, one thing we have helped is get him uh, audio Bibles so he can hear the word in their own language. The, the, the cool thing is also being able to share the gospel. And so even one of those times at two different churches, I shared in March, and I shared this message, a young man, uh, the young man here on the right side came to know Jesus Christ. The other one came to Christ. So this is sharing the gospel of the grace of God. And that's something that we find central to do. People are responding. And then the last guy there of those three is Sure. Sure is the head of the Youth for Christ for, Spain, uh, for Nepal. And um, his goal, uh, working with high schoolers and, and university students, to train them up so they can duplicate themselves, making disciples with the hopes, uh, because Youth for Christ is very church-centered, also connect them. But for many of them, they're st he's starting to see the value of having them start 
campuses, I mean churches on the campus, churches in the villages. So as they finish that, um, as they've completed that, basically this is him last month or two months ago now with a baptism with some of these young high schoolers. But uh, his goal, he told me this year, was to raise up 250 catalysts. And after we talked a little bit, I said, I think you're, you're stretching uh, that, that word, but uh, yeah, that, that might be high. But uh, we'll, we'll weed that out. And I says, if I can get up at least 50 or 60 out of that, that would be great. I said, yes. Well, as of June, so far 270 people for 2023 have already signed up to, to want to get Catalyst training. So again, if you can get 270 or even 70 young people throughout Nepal ready to share the gospel, it's, it's happening. We are seeing a movement. So can't share the gospel beyond. This is how the kingdom of heaven is working. And so, just to finish off, kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Hidden on earth, son of man came to earth searching for us. Then he joyfully goes and sells all he has to buy the earth, hence owning and saving us. And by the grace of God, 45 and 46 are the same thing, where Jesus is this merchant who, in search of fine pearls, he finds one and says, that's worth giving everything. That's our gospel. So how do we wind this up? Let me just finish with one little application is to pause, to savor, remember, and meditate who you are. And the answer is, for this, is just take time to reflect and soak in the truth that I am God's treasure. And whose you are, I am God's treasured possession. What does that do for you? For me, it's the greatest feeling. It amps me up to follow through. So with the other thing I would also share is it also should leave or give us a different perspective to see others differently. So when I see people that aren't even those in this room, but others, do I see them as potential treasures? Does God, they're built, they're already created in God's image, but are they? And so the third thing I would say, but I would say the first thing is just, just at the beginning, soak this in. Is go on treasure hunting adventures ourselves. Seeking, like Jesus, to save those that are lost through the gospel. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I thank you for what it means, how much uh, we mean to you. Help us to fathom, to try to even grasp the height, the depth, the width, and the length of your great love for us. And to you, who can do imaginably more than we can ever expect or ask for, to you, in the power of Christ our Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, be glory and honor forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.